G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, the only national program focusing on union news, worker stories and social justice issues. This program is produced in Melbourne for 3CR and the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Radio Foundation on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and we pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Reconciliation Week started with National Sorry Day on May the 26th and ends on June the 3rd, Mabo Day, that celebrates the end of the doctrine of terra nullius, which forms the foundation of white Australia. As a small contribution to the conversation, stick together this week, we'll look at the CDP, the Community Development Program, a racist and punitive social security program specially developed by the federal government for Indigenous people in remote communities. If you think that is a bit harsh, then some of the specifics of the program may surprise you, just as the announcement in the latest federal budget that it is to be scrapped in 2023. We'll hear from Laura Watson, the National Indigenous Officer at the Australian Council of Trade Unions, the ACTU, who has been part of a four-year campaign to have the CDP in its present form stopped. We will also hear some comments from some speakers at the recent ACOS, the Australian Council of Social Service Budget Reply Seminar, as they wonder aloud at what the federal government might have in mind. But first, some union news. The peak body for the Australian unions, the ACTU, has called for the federal government to provide the necessary funding to state governments to complete the vaccine rollout in aged and disability care, citing the states as the only level of government with a proven success in administering the vaccine rollout. All residents and more than 90% of the staff in Victorian government-administered aged care have already been vaccinated, it says, while 29 aged care facilities in Victoria, which are regulated by the federal government, are yet to have a single dose delivered to a resident or staff member. Unions believe that overall the level of vaccination in federal government-regulated sites is less than 15%. The ACTU Assistant Secretary Liam O'Brien said the Morrison government correctly identified aged and disability care as the number one priority for the vaccine rollout, but over three months in the rollout, they have barely vaccinated any of these workers and have failed to protect our most vulnerable people. In New South Wales, all three New South Wales branches of the Maritime Union of Australia announced that they are prepared to back Gamarulari traditional owners, farmers and the community in opposing coal seam gas extraction in Narrabri. Despite sustained local and national opposition, multinational Santos, supported by the federal government, is pushing ahead with a proposal to build up to 850 coal seam gas wells in the rich soils of Liverpool Plains, the Bililgar forest and surrounding areas near Narrabri. MUA National Indigenous Officer Thomas Mayer said the Morrison government's plans are unviable according to economists and destructive and dangerous according to traditional owners. It's disgraceful that they are not listening to the experts. Sydney Branch Secretary of the Maritime Union of Australia, Paul Keating, said the Garamilara traditional owners could not be clearer in their rejection of this unnecessary and destructive project. 
The MUA will stand shoulder to shoulder with these communities and we vow to fight to defend their right to self-determination over their traditional lands. The Narrabri gas project faces opposition from the breadth of the local community, from farmers to football players. Leading water scientists have raised grave concerns about the potentially disastrous impact on Australia's vast inland aquifer, the Great Artesian Basin. The project would create significant methane and carbon dioxide emissions, worsening the climate crisis and causing more heat, drought, bushfires and storms, they believe. Research undertaken by the Centre for International Corporate Tax and Accountability Research demonstrates that despite billions in annual revenues, Australia's largest LNP producers pay nothing in corporate income tax and will pay no royalties on the vast new supplies of offshore gas for decades to come. We are watching one of the greatest corporate heists in Australian history. These companies are exporting unprecedented mega volumes of gas, not paying any tax, driving manufacturing out of the country and gouging the community. Now they're telling us they need to go and build 850 wells smack bang on top of Australia's food bowl against the wishes of the traditional owners. I don't bloody think so, said Mick Cross, MUA Southern New South Wales Branch Secretary. Teachers in temporary positions experience poor job quality and feel they must jump through hoops to outcompete their colleagues and maintain employment, according to new research led by University of New South Wales, Sydney, with co-authors from the University of Sydney, University of Technology, Sydney and Curtin University. Temporary employment, a version of fixed-term contract work, is on the rise in teaching, while permanent teaching positions are declining. Today, about 20% of the New South Wales public schools teachers are in temporary positions. Most are early career or new to the profession. The research also reported more men being in permanent employment, with women more likely to be employed on temporary contract. Only 27% of those in temporary jobs were working in that capacity by choice. Our data also suggests that women may also stay longer as temporary teachers than men do, with potential implications for future career opportunities and leadership positions in schools. Dr Stacey says converting long-term temporary teachers into permanent positions in particular would help better manage workload demands, reduce turnover and promote career progression. In Western Australia, the death of seven-year-old Ashwara Aswath from an infection on Easter Saturday at Perth Children's Hospital has led to public outrage at the level of health services in the state. The Australian Nursing Federation and the Australian Medical Association organised a snap protest on the 25th of May. Despite the short notice, more than a 1,000 healthcare workers travelled from across Perth to rally outside the Children's Hospital. Nurses came with their own homemade signs, banged giant clappers and made good use of the plastic horns handed out by the union. We also complain about how hard things are in the break rooms, one mental health nurse said of the atmosphere, but today we were all out in public together. It felt great. The unions rejected the government's assertion that the emergency department was adequately staffed on the night. They say executives failed to act on staff warnings about safety and resourcing as well as treatment delays and record ambulance ramping at other hospitals. They say the death of 
Ashwara Ashwath has highlighted systemic problems within the state's public hospitals and are furious that two junior nurses and a doctor who treated the girl have been referred to the medical watchdog. The upcoming inquiry will look at clinical governance at the hospital and expects to report back with findings, conclusions and recommendations 10 weeks after getting underway. You're on Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. Since the federal budget, there has been numerous dissections of the details in the budget by groups other than the mainstream media. Lara Watson, the National Indigenous Officer at the Australian Council of Trade Unions, the ACTU, spoke at the Living Incomes for Everyone event outlining elements of CDP destructive to community and how future directions could build community. I acknowledge the judicial custodians of the land that I'm on. So I'm on Yagara country here and afford my respects to all of you, your wherever you are, to traditional owners there. I thought I might just touch on what CDP is first because we're still coming across a lot of people that don't really understand or know what CDP is. So the Community Development Program was the Work for the Dole program that's operational in remote Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities everywhere else in the country are on Job Active. Um, We've been campaigning for four years around the CDP um, because it is unfairly punitive, especially when you're comparing it to Job Active and quite racist when you look at the, the places in which it's operating in. We, what we saw, um, uh, participants on this program that if they didn't turn up for an activity the first time, um, they get deducted around $54 or $52 out of um, their payments. A second time, it's 104 But the third time, they would actually lose their payments for up to eight weeks. So that's no payment whatsoever coming in for eight weeks. If you look at... Um, a lot of the communities, their rent comes out of their payments before it gets forwarded on to them. So we're finding that a lot of people were becoming homeless because they had um, they couldn't pay their rent because their payments had stopped. There was added pressure on communities, um, you know, very vulnerable, very poor communities in Australia. And if you had, you know, four that had been breached, there was um, like an increase in pressure for other people in the community to be able to feed and pay bills and stuff like that. Um, Also, there were workers that were in what we consider wage jobs anywhere else in the country. Um, So if you have a look at like construction work with a regional council, we had CDP workers doing that, working alongside fly-in, fly-out workers, and they're getting the equivalent of a new start payment, but the fly-in, fly-out worker is on $52 an hour. So there were some really different discrepancies. And as far as we're concerned, being um, the trade union movement, was if you were getting, if you were in a job, you should be getting paid for that job. You should be getting paid wages. There's no workplace conditions, you know, things like annual leave, sorry business, 
they can't access any kind of leave to be able to accommodate that. Um, they used to, instead of going to the job ser- service provider that's in communities um, that were administering the program, they'd have to ring Centrelink and they'd be on hold for like four hours with a, a special CDP number um, to be able to say, look, I can't do this. There's been a death in the family or I've got to look after kids or I've got to go into town. Um, and they would just hang up. So they get breached. And we were seeing, you know, a lot of kind of flow-on effects as well. Uh, it was a, a bit of a cash grab, you could say, with private enterprise. So there's always been some sort of employment program happening in remote communities. If you look at the 1970s, it was around apprenticeships and trades, Um and it worked. It was a really good program back then, but none of that kind of training is happening now. We did have um, an older fella. He was on CDP. He was a qualified builder who had done his apprenticeship um, in the 70s. Yet when we drove around um, the community, we counted over 30 new builds or extensions. So there's the work in the community, it's just they weren't giving the work locally, uh, even if you've got the, the qualifications to do so. We had people that turned up to do their job and just to find out that um, a CDP worker has been put into that job and they'd lost their job. They hadn't been notified appropriately, but they'd lost their job. Um, other people were getting paid a wage in the work that they were doing and then when CDP come in, they lost their wage and were put on to the CDP payments for doing the same work. So um, it come a bit of a, a bit of a cash grab for private enterprise. First time it's been open, it was like this free source of labour that private enterprise jumped on. Um, and there is real issue in, in regards to that and the incentive payments that were getting paid. Uh, if you have a look, um, I was going to touch on this later, but if you have a look at the budget that the government had put down around the Work for the Dole program in remote communities, they have allocated $111 million over five years. Now, CDP is going to be scrapped in 2023, but CDP costs around $340 million just to administer. If you have a look at Wyatt's 1,000 Jobs program, now private enterprise can get, you know, over $57,000 as an incentive to be able to put on a CDP worker. And if you do the calculations, uh, it that's where all the money will end up going to these incentive payments, to this private enterprise. You know, it's a bit of a cash grab, be able to get some more money. It's not actually around job creation and that's what's needed. We need jobs on country. Um, if I, like, I, I live in Ipswich. I've got both my parents live with me. They're both quite ill. Now I have access to contact a service provider to come pick them up and take them to appointments. Yet we have people in remote communities that do that because 
it's their elders, but they're not getting paid a wage for it. So there is the capacity to be able to invest that money a little bit more smartly in and around job creation and in jobs that are on country so people don't have to leave their homelands to find work. Um, with uh, CDP, when even though it's a win for us, it's not government that actually delivered the win. I was a bit surprised, but it was a four-year campaign um, that we had CDP workers, we were out in remote communities, we were delivering training around campaigning and around unions of what they need to do and what, you know, what their rights were. And there was pressure on government. We got a little win in 2019 when they brought down the hours to 20 hours from um, 25 hours and there had to be 51% um, on boards or a part of the job service provider. So we actually saw job service providers teaming up with local community organisations to meet that quota and sharing that funding. CDP is still in place now. Uh, it costs $340 million to administer CDP. It will be operational in until 2023. But the fear that I have now is around what's going to replace it. So the government has said that there will be a co-design process with First Nation people, um, but we don't know what that looks like. We don't know who that is. We don't know the process of how that's going to be rolled out. There really needs to be community input because not every community is the same and they have different needs and they need different training and different skills to meet whatever demand is in their particular area. So there really needs to be a bit of a structure set up so that there can be that correspondence with remote communities and what they need and what a jobs program would look like. They need to be sustainable jobs. You know, right through this CDP didn't matter who was overseeing it, Scullion or Wyatt, the jobs that are supposedly being created through this program are not sustainable jobs. You know, when Scullion had the portfolio, he would say that he found 15,000 jobs for remote workers. What he didn't say was they were 13 weeks and 26 weeks, and at the end of them, they were back on CDP. Now we've got the 1,000 jobs uh, program, uh, it's high incentives, you know, over 57000 for private enterprise to be involved um, in, in putting on CDP workers. On top of that, you've got the income management that's happening. Um, we find that some people in the Northern Territory, it's the basic card, um, and this has was implemented back about 12 years ago through the intervention. Um, and what we were seeing is anything that happens in remote Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities, if no one um, jumps up and down about it, it will get rolled out more broadly. And that's what we saw from the now Inju card. It's just based on the basic card model. Um, a bit of a win there. They They can't get it through legislation, but it's still has been extended to 2023 as well. So like our wage justice campaign, that uh, income manage management campaign 
now's the time. We need to go really hard in the next two years to make sure what's being put in place is not harmful to our communities, is not harmful to our workers, and that there is real investment and care around um, job creation. You're on Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. Now we go to a small portion of the ACOS budget reply seminar which focuses on CDP and possible ways of fighting the federal government's agenda to bolster the private sector at the expense of genuine community development. This is a small interchange at the end of the session led by Verity Firth from the University of Technology, Sydney, with Lyndon Coombs, Industry Professor, Indigenous Policy, Jambunna Institute for Indigenous Education and Research at the University of Technology, Sydney, Kirsty O'Connell from the Australian Unemployed Workers' Union, and Faye Akindanini, Partner and Office head at Newgate Communications. I might go to one that has come in from the audience and I'm going to go to you first, Lyndon, which is a question around the Community Development Program, which of course the government did announce that they were ceasing um, with this budget. And the question is, what would be the best thing to replace? Yeah, I was saying um, at the start, it was um, largely a fairly predictable budget. That was a little, little curveball in there. Um, just because I don't know where they'll go with it. Um, and like with most things in Indigenous affairs and, and social policy, um, they need to go back. Um, it, it, you know, it's all cyclical. Um, and, and when this started out with the CDP and we had ATSIC and uh, the thing was well-resourced, there was genuine work given to people, um, it was good. Uh, was it the best administered um, program? Probably not, but... Um, when you put it against the the calibre of administration of this government, I think it stands pretty good. So going back to, to a proper CDP, which it was when it started, I, I know from my mum's community in Brewarrina, it brought immense um, improvements to the community. People were really proud about getting out every day and working and improving their community. And so it had a much more benefit than just you know, the, the payment for that. And, and when we do this again, I would hope that it's set up properly so that people get paid super because they didn't, um, that they, they have proper insurance. Um, and again, this is another real opportunity where there is some investment um, in community and communities thrive from it. I think, again, it, it's it's um, the, the, the government's ideology and resentment of any form of welfare um, just precludes them from being innovative and actually just listening to and building on an evidence base um, in these things. So the, it's been done before. Um, it's, again, a, a matter of political will and choice. So, Kristen, do you have any views on what could potentially pr replace the community development program? Uh, yeah, and I think it's important that when we talk about this, we acknowledge that the CDP is just one part of the welfare system that is continuing to inflict colonial violence on first people in this country. Um, black folks are always discriminated against more on uh, in the social security system than everyone else. 
So the CDP sort of being drawn to a close is really important and it is going to hopefully alleviate pressure on a lot of people. In the first quarter of this year, there were 18,000 payment suspensions. There are 30,000 people on CDP. So it's disgraceful that so many folks have been cut off their payment. So it's what we want to see is firstly immediate suspension of it. Replacing it means self-determination for communities, listening to folks and what they've been saying for so long, which is we want to determine what happens in our community. And that is going to be different in different places. It's going to respond to local context. These should just be jobs. If there is work to be done and the community wants to do that work, there should be jobs. If there are skills gaps in the community, they should be supported to have training. People shouldn't be forced to fall out of the income support system um, or forced to relocate simply because of these systems and settings. Faye, do you have anything to add on that? No, not really. I, I agree with Kristen in terms of the um, the continual segmenting segmentation of um, these particular programs in artificial constructs just allows the government to give permission because it says, you know, this is the bucket of people who don't vote for us and therefore we don't actually have to take their needs seriously and that's a can. We will definitely kick really hard down the road. Um, and remember when they first disrupted um, the CDP, which was a long time ago now, it really had been a program that had built incredible trust. It was the cornerstone of so many communities and was delivering in more social terms, but that didn't seem to matter. So, yeah, I think this is this is the other thing that goes with and it comes out a lot. And it's, you know, the danger is for all of us to become cynical as well, because, as they say, a cynical cynic is a romantic who's been disappointed too many times. <laughs> and I think the, the by, by falling into that that cynicism, we we expect the worst. We get righteously angry. None of that is productive use of our energy. I really do encourage people over the next six to 12 months, which is somewhere where we're going to have an election, people think about how they focus their energy on productive things. Um, push their emotional buttons. Don't get emotional. Okay, play a local campaign game so no coalition MP can appear at the opening of a fridge in their electorate, not with a protest, but with some actual example of the consequences of some of these policies put in front of them. Preempt them visiting, because they tell everybody on social media when they're showing up back in the electorate, preempt that by doing some really good local media and social media work amongst the community. But it's not designed to put on a protest because a protest is easily dismissed. It's designed to push their emotional buttons so they realise that the community, the electorate, is still alive to all these things in the budget that just did not deliver. I mean, I, I had three kind of things that, you know, um, that, that could be game changers. And some of you already do these things, but probably not as well as you think you do. Um, as I play the two, play on two fields. So you basically, you, you walk and chew gum. You play the national, but then you play the local. The national is for the consistent messaging, but the local is for the disruption. You disrupt them in terms of making them uncomfortable, not protesting, but doing things which they think their support base are aware of. So you've expanded your reach. So um, programs which are place-based, you know, investment around that which is, doesn't talk to fairness. This government clearly has never shown you a moment in which fairness triggered any kind of a response. So what you want to think about is how does it actually 
talk to equity and good management of taxpayer funds. That's it for Stick Together this week. If you want to catch up with the show, we are podcast at 3cr.org.au and on iTunes and Spotify. If you want to drop us a line, email us on sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. And until next week, remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you and stick together. And we're going to go out with a little ditty from Errol Gray, working for Centrelink. I lost me job when me boss went broke First time in 30 years I'd been out of work I thought I'd apply for unemployment benefits So off I went down to Centrelink I stood in a line that stretched out the front door When I finally got to the counter I asked for a form They said I should have rung up or used the internet Cause that's the way they do things now at Centrelink Slightly disgruntled I went home and made the call When I finally spoke to a human It was half past four I was hot and dry And I needed a drink I'd put in a hard day's work At Centrelink They asked all sorts of questions About who did what with who So wonder they didn't want to know The last time I had a poo They gave me a long list Of documents to bring Tomorrow when I went back Now being unemployed is bloody hard work I've been busier than a bookmaker's clerk Paperwork and interviews take 40 hours a week You'd think that I was working at Centrelink I had to prove who I was at least a hundred times Passport and library card and unpaid parking fines You should have known who I was, at least that's what you think I was interviewed by me brother-in-law, he works at Centrelink Then I had to see someone called the job provider But he was on stress leave, so I talked to his offside